Asshole Court is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time, especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. We're all familiar with the phrase, jack of all trades, master of none. And as life just seems to have it, most likely a lot of us fall right into this categorization. I mean, let's be honest. You don't see many motivational speakers moonlining as a plumber or too many office dudes working the late night shift on a sex phone line. Well, I guess you might get Joe from accounting if you're looking for a friend at 2 a.m. on a Thursday night. But the subject of today's show has shown over the years that he's been able to juggle multiple jobs and seems to be damn good at many of them. Joe Rogan has been on the forefront of multiple enterprises over the years, starting out with smaller gigs on TV, moving to be the face of one of the most cringeworthy shows of all time, Fear Factor, all while being one of the best ringside announcers in one of the fastest growing sports as the main color commentator for UFC fights. Oh, throw in the fact he's got the most listened to podcast in the world, and you've got quite a celebrity on your hands. But as we all know, it's not that easy. Hell, we here at Asshole Court get our fair share of heat for our bullshit, and we have a fraction of a percentage point of the number of listeners he does, so I'm sure he hears his fair share of crazy. But it's not just Joe Rogan that gets people worked up sometimes. It's the platform he provides some of his guests to spew their views that have either gotten them famous or infamous. How much control does Rogan have over the content of his podcast? Does he get high before all of his shows? And honestly, how fucking cool did it have to be to smoke weed with Elon Musk? We'll dive into this and more in the Joe Rogan episode of Asshole Court. Hello, freak bitches. Train by day, Joe Rogan podcast by night, all day. All right, before we dive into our pre-show scores, we got to give a couple shout-outs. This is a much-requested show. So uh, big ups to uh, Patrick Wall, Deirdre, Jake Boone, Brad's wife, and Jenny's husband from Grand Rapids. So we've talked about Jenny from Grand Rapids a couple of times on our show. She was kind of a super fan. She would email us and message us a lot after every show. She unfortunately lost her battle um, that she was going through. So uh, thinking about her. And uh, we appreciate all of the support she gave us over the years. So thinking about you, Jenny, we appreciate all the all the support you gave us. Yeah, she was an OG fan. She's you know we've been talking to her for a couple of years now. So um, you know, uh, just yeah, rest in peace. Sucks man. absolutely. Yeah, it was a tough loss for us, but uh, we appreciate all of her support. One of our first super fans, and um, yeah, just want to give a shout out to her and her family for the tough time that they're going through. Absolutely, both show. So one last thing before we get started, I uh, just wanted to bring up a new podcast that we've started listening to. 
really enjoy it. It's called Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. It's uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, these guys are awesome. They uh, cover a wide variety of different topics, and they just kind of give you an in depth look into stuff like uh you know the mummification process, declassified military operations, the history of scary clowns, aliens. They just cover a wide variety of topics. Really cool show, and they like to cut up just like how we do here on the show as well. Yeah, if you like, uh, if you like our show, you'll definitely like their show. To be honest, and I listened to it a lot recently while I was actually camping because I had nothing else to do, <laughs> uh, and I was out there drinking beers and uh, checking out the fire, listening to their show. And uh, they're, they're it's it's a great show. The guys uh, are significantly smarter than we are. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you should definitely check it out. Absolutely, midnight facts for insomniacs, and we're gonna have an ad for them here on the show as well, and they. Uh, kind of introduce themselves so check them out all right boys let's get some pre-show scores for big time joe rogan buddy start us off all right so um i've uh i I like joe rogan i've been watching him for a while now i remember first seeing him on fear factor Mm -hmm. and uh you know fear factor came out it was like uh back in 2001 yeah and it was one of the aughts yeah and it was one of the first uh, reality, or in that wave of the first yep. reality TV shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, Survivor came out a year before that and kind of, you know, paved the way for a lot of that. Yeah. Richard Hatch. Remember him? Yeah, right. yeah, he was the first one that and won that. And paid taxes on the money and got that trouble for a it. lot. Yeah, yeah yep. that's exactly right. Um, but I remember the thing that caught me off guard or took me by surprise with Joe Rogan was he was the first host that I ever saw kind of step into... The contestants, like if something kind of went a little awry, like he was like, you can't do that shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like and I'd never seen a host put anybody on blast like that. Like usually that would probably get edited out or something like that. Yeah. And they would just retake it. Yeah. But I definitely remember him getting into a fight on Fear Factor. Oh, and wow. uh, yeah. yeah, there was a uh, some couple got really heated uh, mm-hmm. over like uh, another couple in there and the chick like punched. One of the dudes, his name was Johnny Fairplay, like right in the oh, chest. Oh, I remember that name for some reason. Yeah, he was a he was a he was a twerp. Yeah, yeah. all right, but uh, that's a nice way to put it. Yeah, he <laughs> was a twerp. He, said he dug deep into that elementary school vocabulary. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so the uh, the chick like punched Johnny right in the chest, and Joe was like, "Hey, man, you you can't physically assault somebody on TV, especially like we don't do that here." And the girls. Like I guess boyfriend or whatever yeah. started getting up in Joe's face. Wrong move. And yeah, putting a Kimura. <laughs> he was like, "You can't do that." And the guy was like, "Hey, hey, 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 hey!" And Joe was like, "Hey, hey, 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 hey!" Right back at him. Yeah. And like he got up in his face, and Joe fucking grabbed him and like put him into a like a lock of some kind. <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, the other contestants had to kind of like step in and remove yeah. the other player. I would pay good money to see Buddy commentate an MMA fight. He's got him in some <laughs> sort of lock some, here. Some sort of lock here. It looks He's very uncomfortable. His, yeah, it looks like. The guy's tapping his arm for some reason. He's using his hands. Is that the end? (laughs) He's using his hands. He's got him in some kind of lock. The guy's bleeding, but I don't know if he's winning or losing. (laughs) The guy's on his back. He's got to be losing. (laughs) So, uh, but yeah, I just remember that kind of just stood out to me. And, um, you know, I I watched Fear Factor for a while and then I lost track of him. I didn't really, you know, I don't really watch UFC Mm -hmm. or anything like that. But I started to listen to his podcast a couple years ago Mm -hmm. and, um, I liked that at least at the time he seemed like he was he would give everybody a platform to talk and mm-hmm. he would just be naturally inquisitive of what was going yep. on or yep. what they were trying to say. Um, not trying to really talk over them, but let them talk and then throw up his personal belief and see if they could kind of, yeah. you know, tit for tat for him on that. Once he moved over to Spotify, I kind of felt like there was a 
a little bit like the the show changed a little bit yeah. and I, i've seen this happen before i noticed it a little bit with dax from armchair expert it just seems like and i don't know if it's maybe with the influx of money or the pressure that you would feel by going to exclusively on spotify that maybe yeah. it changes the dynamic of it mm-hmm. um but i i don't know i've kind of it's his podcast has fallen off for me yeah. um but Anytime that somebody cool goes on there, I'm definitely listening to it. Yeah. And I do like some of his friends, like Theo Vaughn and stuff like that. And what's the guy from The Sopranos? Um, oh, Michael Imperioli? No, 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 Big no. Big Pussy? Yeah, Big Pussy. Yeah. Um, so it's I, I enjoy it for a good laugh every once in a while. So uh, getting to a pre-show score, I like him. I don't really know of anything for him that is really like massive asshole pre-show. So I think... Right off the rip, I'm going to put him at a 4.9 right there with Kid Rock. Okay. And uh, let's see where he ends up by the end of the show. Yeah. All right. A 4.9 for Buddy. I love it. Good stuff. Mikey, pre-show Joe Rogan, what you got? You know, I remember him. He was on that show before he did Fear Factor. It was like a sitcom. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, The new show. News Radio. News Radio. News Radio. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I vaguely remember on that. And then... When Fear Factor happened, I watched the hell out of Fear Factor. I mean, it was sure. huge. Dude. Yeah, it was huge. actually like I don't know why uh, it entertained me so much. It was fun to watch me? people freak like out, eating well. That's bull the, testicles yeah, and that shit. stuff. Like, like that was a, none of the other stuff would bother me. It was the shit that they had to eat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was yeah. like, that's where I would tap out. Like I'm like, yeah, you, you hook me to a harness and I got to jump between trains. I'm like, you guys can't let me die here. That would be horribly <laughs> bad. The insurance won't allow that, so I'm pretty safe. Uh, but yeah, if I have to eat like rotten pig guts, then yeah. I don't know if I can get through it. I'm also squeamish, so I will puke. I wouldn't uh, do that. Also, when he jumped on the Chappelle show, when they did Fear Factor, when Tyrone Biggums was on Fear Factor. and <laughs> That was hilarious, yeah. where Tyrone took a nap in the yeah. box full of roaches. <laughs> That's turn right. that lights out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then after that, like I said, I'm uh, I'm a fan of combat sports. I definitely watch boxing way more than I watch MMA. I haven't really watched MMA in years. But he is a good commentator. He certainly knows the sport. He certainly is, you know, he respects the sport. Uh, he's an expert on it. He knows a lot more about the moves than Buddy does. He does, right? yes. It's just not some <laughs> random lock. It's, uh, so, you know, and I've seen him like he's, he, you know, he he trains uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, yep. like re- respectable. Like I, oh, I'll yeah. give him credit for that. His podcast, I never really got into, but I will say, and I'll, I'll just sort of reflect what Buddy was saying, is the skill set that he has is that he really does allow people to just express an opinion or whatever their expertise is. And that can be good or bad because sometimes he needs to push back on certain guests on certain things. And yep. I don't think he has the intellectual capacity to do it. Most of the times he comes across as just being like odd. Oh, wow, dude. So like Atlantis is probably real. <laughs> you know, And like that could be a make for an entertaining show. And he's a good host in that sense. There's certain people I think that, yeah, you that don't deserve a, a large platform like that. Alex Jones being one of them. I also remember when he called out Carlos Mencia for stealing jokes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that uh, was very cool. He uh, got, that got him banned from the Laugh comedy Factory. Store. It did, or yeah. Comedy store. I think he was a little that. aggressive on it, but I understand where it's coming from. And so, you know, overall, I, I have mixed opinions on him. Uh, I don't think he's like a bad guy. He is in that camp now where they, they spend like 60% of their time complaining about the shit they can't talk about while they talk about right. it, you know? So that's always very irritating to me. It sticks in my craw a bit. But I'm going to start him off with a 5.0. Okay. All right. 5.0 from Mikey. Randy, bring us home. All right. Yeah. Now, 
echo a lot of what you guys said. So my biggest introduction to him was Fear Factor and UFC at kind of the same time. Right. So I loved UFC mm-hmm. early 2000s. Yeah. We watched a lot of those fights around that time. Yeah, we when did. It was uh, uh, Matt Hughes especially yeah. was a, was a big Anderson big draw. Silver. Yeah. yeah Wanderlei Silva. Like it yeah. was crazy. Anyway, that guy knew his shit and you could tell it. Mm-hmm. And he was just very entertaining to listen to. The guy he was with, Mike Goldberg, um, they would just made a really good combo. Mm-hmm. And Rogan had those kind of over the top reactions. You know what I mean? Yeah. But being a fighter and being ringside and seeing somebody get KO'd, I've got the chance to go to a, uh, it wasn't a UFC fight. It was like a local MMA fight. Yeah. But still, I was, you know, everybody's seen a fight and probably seen somebody get knocked out. But when you're like really close to the ring and you see somebody yeah. get kicked in the face and yeah. just like get knocked unconscious, yeah. like your reaction's like, holy yeah. shit. You know, well, I mean? he has that meme heard around the world that still survives <laughs> where it's that like yeah. you see oh, that. And yeah. yeah. Like he's freaking out oh, with yeah. his two buddies there. And yeah. yeah. It's, um, there's there's a real value to being a commentator that's a legitimate fan. Oh, yeah. And that's like in the boxing world. That was Jim Lampley yeah. from HBO, who his commentary sometimes is just so great. Like the dude broke down in tears multiple times from a great fight. And it's Joe Rogan's the same way. Like their uh, enthusiasm is infectious. Yep. I think. Yeah. Absolutely. And then you roll into his podcast, right? And I like the podcast. I think he's really good at kind of, and I'll get into it, you know, as we get into the show, kind of, you know, the value he kind of brings to, honestly, the podcast world and kind of what it's done for it a little bit. Um, so mad props there to kind of the the height that he's reached. I mean. Yeah. And the relentlessness that he's had dude, about it. A couple thousand or he's like 1200 episodes or something yeah, like that now. Yeah. It's just insane. Yeah. So honestly, I had a pre-show at a 5.0 as well. We said normal dudes a four to a five. You know, let's go five. Pretty okay. pretty base plate there. Yeah. All right. With a 4.9 from Buddy, a 5.0 from Mikey, and a 5.0 from Randy, Joe Rogan's pre-show asshole score is a 4.96. All right. 4.96. Put him just a shade above Kid Rock, who's at 4.9. And just below, Tila Tequila, Nazi lover Tila Tequila, came that's in right. at a 5.1. Unfortunately, due to her mental health, that's why she scored so low. That is true. Yeah, so, yeah. exactly. 4.96, not bad. And I also want to say, I don't, I've never really paid attention to Joe Rogan's personal life, so I'm excited about this one because I don't know anything about him. Yeah. I know a little bit about him, yeah. so, but yeah, it's going to be good to see what uh, what layers of the onion we peel back. The yeah. older he gets, though, the more he becomes like a, a, a Stone Age statue. Yeah. <laughs> the neck continues to widen. It's true. I think he's on gear. I'm pretty sure that's the case. All right, well, let's come out swinging. Y'all ready? I am. Let's do it. Joseph James Rogan was born August 11th, 1967 in Newark, New Jersey, to father Joseph and mother Susan Rogan. His dad was a Jersey cop who married his mother at a fairly young age, and depending on who you ask, had a bit of a mean, abusive streak to him. When interviewed about his dad, Joe said, All I remember of my dad are these brief, violent flashes of domestic violence. When I was five, I had a fight with my cousin because I liked King Kong and he liked Godzilla. His mother was screaming to my parents, Your son's a little monster. He punched my kid in the face. My dad pulled me aside, pulled me in a room, shut the door. I'll never forget this because I was like five years old. There's very few things that I remember about him, but this is one of them. He goes, What happened? I couldn't lie to him. There's no lying. You didn't cry, did you? No, I didn't cry. Don't ever cry. Then he patted me on the head and walked out of the room. I was fucking punching everybody after that. Yeah. I got the green light to punch kids as long as I didn't cry. Yeah. That's a solid parenting lesson. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Hey, <laughs> did you kill that guy? <laughs> did you cry? Did you cry about it? That's no. what's important. Also, I mean, Rogan 
definitely has that Jersey look to them too. There's oh, something about sure. the people from New York and New Jersey. They just sort of have a look to them sometimes. What's I remember up? Mark Lemke, my mom saying, she was like, he definitely looks like he's from New York. And he absolutely, absolutely was. was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know yeah, what that yeah. is. Well, a lot of it too is if you have like Italian or, you know, like that Northern European descent yeah. in your bloodlines, that's where a lot of them immigrated a lot to. Of Italians, so yeah, Eastern see, Europeans. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. So uh, Rogan said, I, I can't really complain about my childhood. Nothing bad really ever happened to me. It was just confusing, you know. He was a very violent, scary guy. After the split, we moved to San Francisco, and that was it. Never heard from him again. Rogan does have two sisters from his father's side. Both of them claim that they've never seen their dad's abusive side, as Joe has claimed. Hmm. Joe and his sisters aren't close, and from what I read, they've never even met face-to-face. Well, and also, a lot of times, you know, like paternal violence is like uh, dished out to the son to the son yeah exactly yeah. and you don't do it in front of your daughter if like it's you know mm-hmm. if that's how, your tendency you want to be the king to your daughter mm-hmm, yeah. but yeah. i can't see him making that up for no reason right right exactly and when joe was five his folks divorced his mother finally deciding to get away from the situation a couple years later she and joe moved to san francisco where joe's mother remarried when describing him on his podcast joe said my stepdad's a hippie he was a computer programmer and an architect. All of a sudden, I'm living with this hippie guy in San Francisco with a bunch of gay people. It's like all peace and love. It's the 70s, man. He remembers that a gay couple lived next door and that his mom would go over and get naked with them and play the bongos and smoke pot. Yeah. Man, that's really polar opposite of yeah. uh, Where the he cop was. from New yeah. Jersey. She yeah. was just like, that's repressed. That's a pin up. She's ready to get <laughs> naked. Oh, and everything you read about his mother is like, oh, she was a free spirit. Like, yes. that's all you read about is yeah. how free of a spirit she was. Yeah, man. She's just like one step away from being a Dateline victim. <laughs> yeah. She was a free spirit. Her smile just lit up the room. <laughs> she never met anybody she didn't like. She started hitchhiking and, uh, you know. <laughs> one thing led to another. <laughs> yeah. you know, We next, haven't seen her here yeah. since. But yeah, that's a that's a total polar opposite there, going from a Jersey cop that's abusive to a programmer hippie man. Yep, family, I think I know which one I'd prefer. Yes, for sure, the family, cop. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So the family did move to Jacksonville, Florida, for a while, and then eventually settled in a Newton Upper Falls, Massachusetts, just west of Boston, where Joe spent his teenage and high school years. And so the Boston where Rogan's from, that's that's where they wound up settling. So they pinged back. Yep. You know, East Coast, West Coast, yeah, ended yeah. up back okay, so on the East Coast. Let's try it all. Let's go to the West Coast, to Berkeley. Let's go to Jacksonville. You know what? Jersey, eh, not so good, but let's try New England. Let's try Boston. Give it a run. Yeah. One of the events that had an impact on the youngster was a chance opportunity to see a comedy legend at an early age. Joe attended a Richard Pryor show when he was 13 years old with his parents and sat in amazement, watching people laughing uncontrollably and nothing more than a man talking on stage. That affected me in a profound way, Joe said. Nothing had ever made me laugh like that before. Man, I would have loved to see Richard Pryor live, yeah. like doing in, in his heyday, too. Yeah, live off Sunset Strip oh, or man, whatever. Not too long ago, I had a, a buddy in town that was staying with us while I was here. And before he went to bed, I was like, you know, here, watch whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And he put it on Eddie Murphy Raw. Oh, yeah. And oh, I just yeah. stood there and I went up standing there for like 25 minutes. Yeah. Like, as mm-hmm. you know, you're getting ready to go to bed and you just watch for a second, but you just stand there because. Man, that's peak. That's peak Eddie Murphy. And those jokes he he couldn't tell nowadays. Good lord! Yeah, I did hear something funny about that. It was um during Beverly Hills Cop, uh, as he's walking down the street, there's this uh, gay guy that's all dressed in leather that like walks past him, and he just stops and he laughs, and then he keeps on going. But funny enough, that's actually like. 
pretty much the same outfit that he chose to wear during those. Oh yeah, <laughs> raw. Yeah, he had the in raw. He had the purple leather, and then he had another one where he had the red leather. Red yeah, leather, yeah. But it was cool at the time. I mean, oh, that yeah. sort of came back around in like the DMX flesh of my flesh, where he was rocking the red pleather suit and stuff like that. You know, it's cyclical. It was right around this time that another interest of Rogan's would set the table for one of the cornerstones of his life and his success. It was around the age of 14 that Joe got into a bit of a tussle in the locker room with an older kid. The kid got him into a headlock. It didn't really hurt him, but he was laughed at and embarrassed in front of everyone. That feeling, the feeling Joe described as being a loser, he didn't ever want to feel again. I was super terrified of being someone who people just go, oh, look at that fucking loser, you know? I was always thinking that the other kids were going to turn on me at any moment. I was weird. I just fucking drifted. But it was martial arts where Joe found his comfort zone. At age 14, Rogan took up karate and a year later started Taekwondo. It also would explain his neck now. Yeah. Now he's uh, will, refuses to get choked out. So that neck is a tree trunk at this yeah. point. He's been, he's been working on it for the past 40 yeah. years. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. So by the time he was 19, he won the U.S. Open Championship Taekwondo Tournament as a lightweight. He was a Massachusetts full contact state champion for four consecutive years and had become a Taekwondo instructor. Rogan also practiced amateur kickboxing and wound up with a 2-in-1 record. After taking kicks to the head for about seven years, Joe started to get frequent headaches and feared it may turn into more. He retired from competition at the age of 21. I remember him talking in an interview and he said that he remembered like an opponent, not that he was fighting, but like a match he was at, like got his shit rocked. And he was like, that guy's going to have brain damage. And he like turned to his sensei or whatever was like, Okay, how can we protect against that? And he was like, "Just keep fighting." Yeah. And he was like, "Yeah, I think I'm done now." Yeah. Like, and he like did a couple more tournaments, but was done after yeah. that. No, people don't understand how serious that stuff is. I mean, I, I was even uh, on the boxing subreddit, and there was you have amateur boxers on there talking about stuff. And the, one guy was even talking about he's like, even if you're just on heavy bag days, like it can rattle your brain just working a heavy bag because you're hitting it so hard. And he's like, I would end up with horrible headaches after just like working the heavy bag for a while much less sparring and, and taking a beating and i mean yeah dude you're you're getting your your little noodle rattle inside that skull man it's uh it can cause damage for like long term there for sure your brain turns into like a bobblehead doll inside yeah. your body mm-hmm. yeah honestly hats off to him far too many times we see athletes like hang on way too long and they wind up kind of a shell of yeah. their former selves not to mention visible brain damage like you yeah. said you see him ringside in interviews and just kind of cringe. They've got a nice suit and a $20,000 bracelet on, but they may not have a clue as to how they got there. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the head trauma a lot of times can cause like uh, impulse control issues and anger. That's you see a lot of people in combat sports that have that are violent outside oh, yeah. of it. And there's a guy right now, Kane Velasquez. Yes. Yeah. He just got bond. I think he's on trial for murder. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah I yeah. want to say it was like a, it was a guy that molested his son or something. He killed him. I don't remember the whole yeah, story. Yeah, that's that can be. It was tough. Yeah. Well, when that's what you're doing, eighty percent of your time, you know, it's hard to turn it off. Yeah, yeah I mean, Tank Davis just. I think I don't know. There's he's had multiple assaults. The you know, Shakur Stevenson like assaulted people, and these guys are at the top of their game in boxing. But you're, I don't know if it's necessarily related to head trauma or what. But it's it's not good for your brain. No, not at all. So people, I'm sure, wonder, how the hell did this person get to where they are? Hell, this show is part of the answer to that question for many. But I read an interview with Rogan where he talked about his time after karate, living in Boston, trying to figure out his next move. He said, I was living in Boston during my early years in stand-up, grinding out my days working for this hilarious private investigator, Dave Dolan, 
a great guy that's still a good friend to this day, and I was trying to do my comedy at night. I was keeping up a crazy pace. I would deliver the Boston Globe in my car early morning, 365 days a year to 300 houses, then would work for Dave during the day, then head to comedy clubs at night to pursue my dream of one day becoming a professional stand-up comedian. I was seriously exhausted all the time, so much so that I fell asleep once in the middle of going down on my girlfriend. I'll never forget the image burned into my mind of her disappointedly pushing my face and looking down at me, propped up on her elbows and eyebrows raised, saying, Hey, you were snoring. Couldn't even deny it. Normally, if you wake me up for whatever reason, I almost always lie and say I was awake. I have no idea why I do it, and I try to stop it, but for whatever reason, I'm just always pretending that I was already up. Not this time, though. I just took my shame like a man. He said, no, it's a new technique. I'm going to vibrate that clit, girl. <laughs> Blow on a little bit. <laughs> we call it the snoresaurus. Yeah. yeah, yeah, putting in work. That's right. Oh, man. Have uh, you guys ever fallen asleep in the middle of the act? No. I've never fallen asleep mid-act. No, no. I don't think so. I don't. I, mean, I also don't deliver papers, work for a private <laughs> eye, and also do a stand-up, stand-up comedy. comedy. Yeah. You know. I knew I had to make some progress in my life and fairly soon. Well, it was somewhere around that time that I met my current manager, Jeff Sussman. Jeff was living in New York managing comics, and he and his number one client were about to part ways. So Jeff was searching for a new talent. On a whim, Jeff decided to take a trip up to Boston and check out some of the local talent there. I wasn't scheduled to perform that night, but I had a new joke that I had written that day, so I called up the club and asked him if I could do a guest set. I was driving home from work exhausted, and I'm sure I had some thoughts of pussying out and just going home and getting some rest, but I plowed on. I got to the club, and Oliver, the club manager, was introducing Jeff to a few of the comics. I got to meet him, but he left before I went on stage, which to me at the time was no big deal. I didn't really think I was ready to be managed by the guy with a bigger name in the business as Jeff, and the new joke I had come up with was pretty dirty, and at the time I was brainwashed by the current thought process into thinking that dirty jokes were cheap and easy, and that to make it, you had to work clean. If Jeff had stayed to watch my act, I probably would have tried to water it down, and I probably would have sucked. I went on stage carefree and had a great set, and in the middle of my act, Jeff came back into the club because he had heard a lot of laughter from outside. When I came off stage, Jeff was standing there waiting to meet me. He handed me his card and asked me to perform again the next night. I remember thinking if I had known Jeff had returned to the club while I was on stage, I probably would have never done those jokes and probably never had that good a set. And he probably would have passed me up and signed someone else. At the time, it really did feel like a scene in a movie. Coming off stage to a round of applause with a smiling man handing you his business card and thus begins the next chapter of your life. Yeah, so yeah. it really is kind of like a movie. And he also went with his gut in that sense. Like he knew like, all right, cool. The guy's not here to see me. I'm going to go with what I know is going to kill yeah. versus trying to dress it up for and tailor it to one particular person or a set of people. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, good for him, man. You come in with a set of jokes, five minutes to do or whatever. Like, man, it'd be tough to switch gears and be like, you know what? I, let me just do some wing older it. stuff. Let me yeah. wing this shit and try to try to not work blue here. Yeah. Yeah. So to his credit, he. Went with it. It is. It's kind of like something out of a movie where he killed it. The guy's literally standing there waiting as he comes off stage to hand him the card. And You're going to be a huge star. That's Come it. with me, sir. He's yeah. got a big cigar. It's like the uh, in the Joe Rogan movie. Like He's like at the end, you know, on the podcast and everything. And it's like it, it kind of like goes back to that moment right there where he's on stage coming off. And that's where the movie starts. Right? He's got a wig because he had hair back then. <laughs> hey, don't you be hair shaming people. <laughs> don't hair shame us. Rogan said, Jeff has been my manager ever since. He's a bad motherfucker and is the coolest guy in the business. He signed me two weeks later and wanted me to move to New York. I was basically scratching and grinding at the time, so I didn't have any money saved up for the move. 
Luckily for me, my grandfather still lived in Newark, and he offered to let me stay there. North 9th Street was a nice neighborhood when my grandfather moved in there in the 1940s, but over the years, shit had drastically changed. By the time I got there in 1990, he was surrounded by poverty and crime. The next-door neighbor's house got raided for selling the crack right before I moved in, and there were plenty of stoplights on the way to Grandpa's house where my doors were already locked and I was already ready to hit the gas. I stayed there for six months until I had saved up enough money for my own place, and to this day, whenever I think about Newark, I think about my frame of mind back then. It just comes right back to me in clear focus. Yeah, is there a good area in Newark? I don't, you know, there has to be obviously, but yeah, for it's just sure. Newark is one of those cities that's up there with like Gary, Indiana, dude, or East St. Louis. It, man, I'm telling when you drive through it, it's just yeah, like, yeah. Let's get to New York. Sometimes City you quick. can catch flights up there for cheaper to yeah. get to New York, but mm-hmm. it's you're just like, mm, I think I'd rather. Fly. But you know, he pay the up, extra, go to Laguardia. Yeah, yeah. Laguardia, which itself is a shithole. It's like a Greyhound station. Yeah, for an airport, It'll get you in and out. But yeah. You know, he talked about kind of that nostalgic feeling he gets when he goes back to a certain place. Sure. Sure. Do you guys have any specific places that you ever kind of go back to? I know when I go back to the city we grew up in Mm -hmm. and I go back to my old house, the house that I grew up in. And we spent countless hours doing all the shit we did growing up there. Yeah. Well, funny enough, that's where I think about it because my parents still live in that town. Yeah. And so, you know, I still go there a lot so that I don't have the nostalgic feeling, you know, that I get at my parents' house. But every once in a while, I find myself on your part of town. I'll just, you know, drive past there and like, yeah, I think of all the times that we, you know, played ball in the backyard, basketball in the front yard. Yeah, I'm almost never there. So when I do, almost every time I'm there, I will stop and kind of drive around. And it does... It's strange because it's changed so much. Yeah. Um. And I yeah, LA is sort of the same thing. You go out there, it feels you're like, oh yeah, that's so long ago for me. But yeah, it does. It's like uh, when you smell something and it puts you back in a yeah, certain time. Yeah. Thing that abs- and I have a weird one. I have a weird smell. So my grandparents had a farm in Michigan. Yeah. Yep. I've buddy, been there. Yeah. Buddy went with me as a kid growing up, and they had a barn out back with a World War II jeep. That my oh, yeah. grandpa had, and yeah. it ran. It ran well. Yeah. Um. But it was an old green army jeep. You, you think smell of, the fuel. Yep. Yep. You would walk in the barn and smell the gas. Yeah. And smell yeah. the jeep, and you could tell if the jeep was like had been run recently. You could walk in the barn and tell almost how long it had been since the jeep had been run. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah sure. About how strong the smell was. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. But I, it's hard to ever find that smell again because it's like. <laughs> diesel yeah it's a yeah. strange thing you know it's just sort of like uh like the smell of new orleans occasionally you catch a whiff of it <laughs> oh when you it's walk very by a dump- if you walk by a dumpster on a hot summer day yeah that reminds me right of new next orleans. to a paper smell it's, yeah. it's still different yeah. though yeah it's still slightly different because it's not just dumpster smell there's something else to it you know i, I can't quite put my finger. buddy hit it paper mill it's maybe like, that's what yeah. it is yeah but if you smell it and you're like that's yeah, i'm on bourbon street or i'm yeah it's it's an odd thing i think of titties if we, yeah <laughs> titties and trash yeah Hey, asshole court listeners, since you're a fan of this podcast, that means you have a sense of humor, you enjoy being entertained while learning stuff, and you appreciate unfiltered sarcasm. And that's why we think you'll love our show. It's called Midnight Facts for Insomniacs, and it's a history and pop culture podcast featuring weekly deep dives into a diverse variety of topics, and also featuring us, comedians and lifelong friends Shane Rogers and Duncan McEwen. Whether you're nocturnal, sleep-deprived, or just a fan of laughing and learning, we'll keep you entertained with more than 120 episodes covering everything from astrology to pirates, cults to UFOs, conspiracy theories to the history of personality tests. Just search for Midnight Facts in any podcast player to join the Midnight Masses. (laughs) 
1994, Rogan relocated to Los Angeles, where his first national television spot followed on the MTV comedy show Half Hour Comedy Hour. The appearance led to the networks offering him a three-year exclusive contract and a role in a pilot episode of a dopey game show for $500. Rogan declined, but it prompted Sussman to send tapes of Rogan's performances to several networks, which sparked a bidding war. After a period of negotiation, Rogan accepted a developmental deal with the Disney Network. He secured his first major acting role in the 1994 nine-episode Fox sitcom Hardball as Frank Valenti, a young, egocentric star player on a professional baseball team. Do you guys remember Hardball at all? <laughs> not at no, all. No, not at all. Also, was the name of the show a dopey No, game no, that's show? what it was described as, a dopey oh, okay. game show. They were offered him 500 bucks. MTV did. To oh, okay. Be able to host this dopey game show for... Yeah, okay. I was yeah. like, I don't remember a dopey game show. Sounds like it could be interesting, I guess. <laughs> and also, you were saying yeah, he was going to get a developmental deal, and I thought you were going to say he was going to get a developmental disability. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, of course, that doesn't make sense. And have so. major exceptions made for him during his professional <laughs> career. Hey, you can't talk about that anymore. It was the 90s. <laughs> Although Joe had landed a gig in L.A., he continued to find interest in other things, most notably the new up-and-coming Ultimate Fighting Championship. Rogan's manager, Jeff Sussman, was friends with one of the original co-creators of the UFC, Campbell McLaurin, and got Joe a job working as a backstage and post-fight interviewer. Okay. So if you ever wondered how he got intertwined with it, yeah. his manager knew one of the original creators of UFC. Those uh, initial Ultimate Fighting Championships were a very different ballgame back then. Oh, man. It there was felt, no weight classes. It was no weight classes, and it very much felt like blood sport. A and you video had, game. There was a guy with one boxing glove on. Yeah. Like yeah. oh, wow. crazy shit. Yeah. I'll never forget. It was uh, the fight I remember most was Tank Abbott versus dude who whose martial art was the Hawaiian art of bone breaking. <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and the, if you don't know who Tank Abbott is, think of the hardest, baddest motherfucker you could. I mean, like a street fighter. Yeah, like, he couldn't exist in a competitive arena now, but at the no. time, he was the guy that would fuck you up in a bar fight. And he certainly did fuck up uh, the dude who had the Hawaiian art of bone breaking. Knocked him out so hard that his legs stood straight up because he got his fucking spark knocked out. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, it was different back then. I've, Dan Severn looked like a, a, a roided up Freddie Mercury. And, uh, yeah, he did. He <laughs> like, absolutely did. Yeah, it was, I feel like I liked it more back then. Obviously, they, they pared it down and everybody got much better, and that's when they figured out, hey, what works is Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Well, it, back then, like I said, there was no weight classes. No. So you would get this like tiny spider guy from yeah. Japan and this... 300 pound yeah. guy like and it was just wild yeah. it was like chaos yeah it was like Joe Wiley he's a cop and he has a taekwondo studio out of New Jersey or something like that out of Newark yeah pretty much and you're like yeah dude it was it was a wild thing I felt like it was a little bit cooler back then and oh, a little bit more sure. wild west but. for sure so what it started to stabilize a little bit like around the time of Hoist it Gracie and stuff by, like that it got bought by it, a company named Zufa that's and I'll right get into that here in okay just a yep. it got bought but as far as the actual competitive aspect of it when um, Gracie's. Hoist Gracie, yep. Hoist Gracie was beating everybody, and everybody was like, "Okay." And then everybody started incorporating Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu into what they were doing. So wrestling works, you know. Maybe as a boxer, you have some striking skills, but mostly it's a combination of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and then striking skills. Which I'll never forget watching Horace Gracie in a fight, and I think he was fighting Matt Hughes, and he got Horace Gracie was put into an armbar. Mm -hmm. And you saw him relax every muscle in his body. Yep. And you watched his arm bend. bent the wrong way. Yeah. Like 45 degrees. Oh. And it didn't snap and it didn't break and he didn't tap and he wound up getting out of it. Yeah. It looked oh. like it was about to break. Because he knew 
what to do in that situation. It was just nuts yeah. just because they're talking about how much of a master he was. And yeah. all of a sudden, like, oh, my God, he might get beat. His arm's a fucking rubber band. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it nuts. Out of tap. Rogan's first show took place at UFC 12, Judgment Day in Dothan, Alabama. Hell yeah. Oh, wow. that's a, yeah, that's, they were a very young upstart company at this Absolutely. Point. February 7th, 1997 oh, yeah. was wow. Rogan's debut. After the UFC was taken over by Zufa in 2001, Rogan attended some events and became friends with its new president, Dana White, who offered him a job as a color commentator. However, Rogan initially declined, as he just wanted to go to the fights and drink, his quote. In 2002, White was able to hire Rogan for free in exchange for prime event tickets for him and his friends. After about 15 free gigs as a commentator, Rogan accepted pay for the job, working alongside Mike Goldberg until the end of 2016. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's yeah. pretty long so stint. So initially he said no, and then they were like, we'll give you guys ringside seats if you'll do this. I'd do it for boxing right now. I would love to be a commentator on at boxing. I would want to get paid. I would want to get paid, too. Yeah, I would want to get paid, but if there, if like this opportunity is there, and, oh, yeah. and if it was you and not me, I'd be like, dude, Get us the yeah, fucking of seats, asshole. Of course. Yeah. But yeah, what are you get, doing, ass? To get oh, yeah. prime, like, ringside seats to, am, like, yeah. amazing boxing events? I would sell them. Yeah. <laughs> I would sell your ticket that you gave that's, me. That's I'm what gonna, I am going to leave the tickets for y'all will call. Yeah. we pick them up and flip them for, like, seven Gs. Yeah. I'd call them. What where are great, you at? The Canelo fight We're outside, bro. Yeah, I can't yeah. make it. I can't. It's weird, man. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to uh, Bali instead. <laughs> Meet me at scores in about an hour. <laughs> yeah. Over the period of time, Rogan wound up winning the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Award for Best Television Announcer twice, was named MMA Personality of the Year four times by the World MMA Awards. Because of his knowledge and experience in MMA, he brings that element that other announcers can't. And with his legit background in MMA, that include record-breaking spin kicks, he can talk about all aspects of the fight in a very intelligent way. This is where, like I said, I this is where I really started to get to know Rogan, mm-hmm. with him being a staple on the pay-per-views in the early 2000s. Yeah. So he has, do you guys know about Joe Rogan's kicks? Uh, yes. Not really. Shock. All right. So Rogan, like, one of his specialties are these front spin kicks. And um, he broke essentially the like the world record for highest pound per square yeah, inch the kick. Impact, yeah, yeah impact. Oh, what, like uh, almost like those uh machines that you see yeah. At, like uh, Yeah, absolutely. Like in Rocky 4 when Ivan Drago is like lighting up that thing and they're they're yeah. doing the pound you know whatever and there's cuz he's roided up he's yeah. just jacked to the tits on roids. It's called like the cube centrics. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, the technology yeah. they use and the old record was like 129,000 and his was like 156. Oh wow. Like he blew it away. Yeah, yeah it was and it was an MMA guy that had the record. Yeah. But yeah, I watched a few videos of his kicks, and it sounds like a gun going off when he hits the bag. Yeah, like legit. And he's, he's fifty in change. He's mid fifties. Yeah. yeah. No, he's a legit dude. He knows. Like I said, if I'm going to give him respect on anything, like he knows MMA super super well. Oh, for sure. And yeah. he's yeah, and he constantly he's always talking about like he works out every day, mm-hmm. and he has a very uh, disciplined training. Uh, he's got a floating chamber in his yeah. house. He does the salt water floating where yeah. you totally go into the dark and the submerged. Yeah, the submersion. Yeah. 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 He gets but, into some real weird esoteric shit. Man. Yeah, he does. Absolutely. Uh, but I, I, I would argue that that is what he is best at is a MMA announcer. That's, I think that's what his peak, like if you're like, Hey, you can only do one thing. That's what he should, the one thing he should be doing. He's very good at it. 
Yeah, he talks about like the way that he's able to basically just stay stabilized is just by exercising all the time. He's like, whenever I'm feeling out of balance, it's probably because I haven't worked out. Yep. And it's, you know, like this traveling schedule that you get, you know, when you're a comedian and you're going from town to town. Yeah. It's easy to slip off of that. But he was like, I just as long as I stay working out, yeah. Dude, traveling, stays right. traveling is a hard thing it to do is. to stay to eat right and to stay fit. It's almost it, impossible. It takes extreme discipline. Yep. Yeah. Because yeah. it is what it is. I mean, a lot of your meals are paid for yep. and they're good it's good food yep. Yep. and you're like hey what do you want at this nice fucking restaurant that's paid for yeah i want steak and yeah lobster and you know i, I spent a which year isn't on- bad but i also want mashed potatoes and no wine true. and fucking old fashions and all the other shit that comes I with spent, it yeah. uh, a year on the road and i mean you guys know i was i was run all the time i'm at the gym I, I try to stay active as much as i can that was really it caused problems because even when you get back there's gyms at hotels but you're like Dude, I'm exhausted. Like, all I want to do is, and it feels like it's not, you know, it doesn't feel like home. So you're yeah, just like, sure. fuck it, dude. So, yeah, I mean, to, to stay on top of that. But he's absolutely right. Like, I know for me, I can tell a difference if I'm not exercising that I, I feel uh, less good sure. <laughs> in general. <laughs> absolutely. In 2001, Rogan was in the beginning phases of developing a TV show when he hit pause on that and accepted an offer from NBC to host the American edition of Fear Factor. He initially declined as he thought the network would not air such a program due to its content, but as his manager Sussman convinced him to accept. So it seems like he turns everything down up front. Smart. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. Make him, make him want you. Yeah. It's good negotiating tactics as well. Yeah. Rogan later said that the main reason he accepted was to obtain observations and anecdotes for a stand up comedy. The show increased Rogan's national exposure, which caused turnouts at his stand up gigs to grow. Fear Factor ran for an initial six seasons from 2001 to 2006. So 10 years ago, before his podcast was just gigantic, if you would have asked 100 people who Joe Rogan was, Fear Factor guy. they would have either said he was the guy from UFC or the guy from Fear Factor. Yeah, yeah, yep. absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Fear Factor was nuts, dude. Like, some of the shit they did on there was so just make you fucking cringe. Yeah. Some of it was, you know, kind of layup stuff and you're like, yeah. this isn't bad, but yeah. well, you could um, tell that they were starting to push the envelope, you know, after oh, the first yeah, season real or two, fucked like, up they were like, yeah. all right, let's see how far we can go with this. Yeah. I remember one episode that really blew me away was watching when they had to eat African cave spiders oh. and they were alive oh. and the uh, African cave spiders, they look like mini crabs and I remember one guy trying to eat it, and it caught his pinchers on the corners of his mouth as he was, like, trying to push it oh. in. And I was like, yeah, that's where I just, I, I don't like spiders at all. I also don't like eating nasty shit. Could you shit. imagine putting just something like that in your mouth and crunch, to oh, crunch yeah. down and kill it and yeah. swallow it? Like, And it was it was fighting back. It was like, fuck you. <laughs> I'm fighting for but my that's life. Yeah. too, like, if you kill it before you, like, you smash it, then you're eating. No, like, you had to just pick it straight up. Smash bug guts. Yeah. Oh, God yeah. damn. Either way. I might have smashed it and taken it like a shot. <laughs> like a bug shot. I don't know what the rules were. I vaguely remember it being on, like, it was on a craps table for some reason. It was like a Vegas show or something like that, and they were having to, like, t- like I remember that when it was, I was like, that's latching onto that dude's lips, man. Uh, <laughs> Not good. Yeah, he, he would often comment about, like, I can't believe you guys are doing this yeah. for money. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, y'all are crazy. I would never do this yeah. stuff. All the other stuff I'll do. You can yeah. dangle me upside down, dude. <laughs> whatever you want to do. I'll jump, like, over trains. It's whatever. Eating shit is where I draw the line. Yeah. I would fucking vomit oh, because you couldn't, like, you couldn't puke. It was like balls and brains and yeah. dicks and yeah. just, ugh. Yeah, Fuck. my wife and I like watching Survivor, and that's all the episode that she always hates the most is where they have to eat something. Yeah. Like, that's always yeah. just that one episode. She's like, yeah, I'm going to walk out. Yeah. Just let me know when it's over. 
Yeah. You know? Like when they were eating like fucking horse dicks or whatever. And I was like, I mean, if you cook it and I can slice it up, I'd give it a shot. But no, it's horse just dick cold. sandwich. Yeah. 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 It's <laughs> just cold, cold ass long dong. And they're just like, I'm like, that's, I couldn't do it. Chew- slurp and they're like chewing it, you know? Like, yeah. You like, yeah, that uh, first bite in the burrito that's too big where they're just, t- you know, <laughs> like dong jerky and they're trying to pull the burrito wrapper <laughs> yeah. away from it. Yeah. Uh, and I like automatically imagine casing. that it's my dick getting torn in half, yeah. you know? <laughs> Because uh, I'm just obviously jealous. Because you have a horse dong. Yeah, of course you do. Mikey's horse dong. It reminds oh, this horse dong yeah. that's 14 inches totally long. Me. It reminds me of my me, dick, yeah. actually. That's, that's, yeah. You know. I, when I, me when and my, Mark Wahlberg from Boogie Nights. Yeah. When my wife has to bite my ticket. <laughs> bite it. Bite it, girl. Tear it off. <laughs> do you want $50,000 or not? But like I just mentioned, there was the version of Joe Rogan that was famous in 2006, and then there is the super famous version of Joe Rogan today. Unless you've been living under a rock for the last 10 years or so, you've most likely heard of Rogan's most famous venture, his podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience. Mm -hmm. The podcast originally began in early 2003 when Rogan hired Brian Redman, a self-taught video editor and an employee at a Gateway 2000 computer store in Ohio, to work for him full-time. Damn, what a gig for that guy. Rogan had gotten the gig to co-host The Man Show after the initial hosts Jimmy Kimmel and Adam Carolla left, along That's with Doug Stanhope. Right. Yeah, and I remember it that. Was, man, the quality of The Man Show went down very, It did. Jimmy Kimmel and Adam Carolla were funny. They were great. I liked great. The Man Show. And, and then they just I, had the whole thing like, oh, dancing with girls in bikinis yeah, or whatever it was. Yeah. It felt... And then when Rogan, the other guy, came on, it just... I remember watching... Uh, it, this actually wasn't that long ago. It was maybe... A few months back, someone was like, just go watch the first episode when they come on. And it's just like, you just, it wasn't, it wasn't the right fit, man. Joe had noticed video work that Red Band did for comedian Stanhope and invited him to film him and his group on his stand-up comedy tours. Red Band accepted and reloaded to California in the process, following Rogan with a camera and recording everything. Coupled with his interest in popular live stream video services at the time, Red Band wanted to do the same thing I was filming, but live and set up live streams on Justin.TV from the green room at Rogan's various comedy gigs. So this is how old school it's going. You, I don't remember Justin.TV. I do. I do remember Justin.TV, and it was a strange thing. It was like a live stream. One of the first live streams yep, yep. that came out, it was like you had YouTube. That, that When that first came out, that was obviously a big deal. And you had like break.com, yep. which mm-hmm. is videos. But Justin.TV was... Like how people were like live streaming things and putting it on the internet. Putting so, themselves on TV. It yeah. was almost like a f- free stream for live TV. It was TV. a free stream. And, anything, and so if there was like riots or something that was happening or like protests, like it would be on Justin.tv. Okay. And that's how you okay. would watch it. Well, it's kind of like uh, like user um, Facebook Live. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. yeah. basically. But yeah, just delayed because yeah. you would have to record yep. it yeah. and then yeah. upload it. Yeah. Sometimes they would be live stream. You could live stream it. And that's how they were doing it at that time. If you had the technology. Had, yeah. yeah exactly. But that was rare at the time nobody had smartphones so yeah. But yeah i do remember it and i remember even when that first saw, i was like that's a horrible name justin.tv <laughs> yeah some dudes i don't like, even understand this yeah <laughs> i got this great idea what are you gonna call it he's like my name dot tv yeah, yeah. randy.tv yeah. that's that a works. way better name actually <laughs> yeah. red band had no prior experience with audio engineering so he self-taught himself how to operate the mixing board and microphone setups through a subsequent podcast after some time on Justin.tv, Rogan suggested the idea of hosting a live video stream with Red Band from his home and interacting with fans in a chat room and on Twitter with the audio portion released as a downloadable podcast. Rogan was influenced by the open discussion style from appearing on Opie and Andy 
in the live Ustream show that co-host Anthony Cumia did from his basement studio, live from the compound. The first episode of the JRE, or Joe Rogan Experience, aired live on December 24th, 2009, which initially took the form of a weekly broadcast on Ustream with the pair sitting in front of laptops bullshitting, as their quote says. Much of the episode was dead air with the hosts figuring out the equipment. The show developed with Rogan having friends as guests and having lengthy conversations with them regarding various subjects. Comedian Ari Schiffer was the first guest ever who appeared on episode number three, January 6, 2010. Yeah. Yeah. If you remember those like first episodes, it's like him in front of like the computer monitor and just like a regular computer chair. And it was almost like a like a purple light or a blue light. Maybe it was the blue light off of the computer monitor. Yeah. That was like the main light on there. But uh, yeah, it's it's very impressive to see where he's at now from where he came from. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, I think he has the advantage of a is there was no uh, narrow concept of the show. He would have people mm-hmm. on all the time with just different things. I remember for the longest time early on, he had multiple shows about doing DMT. Yeah. That was like a big deal or whatever. Yep. And, uh, you know, we were like, let's let's try it out too. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah. But that was kind of cool. And then he would get these sort of interesting, like I said, like esoteric sort of experts to come on and talk about just weird ass shit, which was interesting because you're like, you're not getting this sort of conversation anywhere else. And like we talked about, what he's great at is just sort of absorbing and letting somebody talk. Yeah. And he doesn't, which is fair, because like I said, it's not like he has a lot of input on like a scientific sort of analysis of DMT, but you know. In May 2010, the podcast acquired its first sponsor in a partnership with the sex toy production company Fleshlight. Yeah. Oh, wow. The company withdrew mid-2012 when it claimed it had saturated its market. Dang. With the fleshlight. Them sales just kind of leveled off at Everybody a getting them jerk-off yeah. gels or whatever yeah. they are. Jerk-off gels. Jerk-off gels. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that what it is? I don't know. I've never used one. I think it's like I've... a flashlight that looks like a pocket oh, pussy. Oh, yeah. I know That's what a... it is. Oh, just are never... you not aware of, <laughs> of you, you the pleasures of the fleshlight? Uh, yeah. The fleshlight is uh, has, has, has crossed uh, all boundaries here. I it's... imagine if you don't clean that thing. Oh, exactly. That's oh. why. Yeah. And also, I think the, the embarrassment for me would be someone finding it. So I just was like, you know what? I got what God gave me. <laughs> just, a, <laughs> just a good old hand here. I don't need to make a fucking, what do they call them in Dude, prison? I look him right in the oh. eye and say, don't knock it till you try it. Yeah. yeah it seems can. like Randy might have tried one. Yeah, man, there's probably a reason these things have sold millions. <laughs> He's not saying no. <laughs> he said, I've got a couple. It's a no. <laughs> A reluctant no. Yeah, you know, I'd try it. I don't need, I won't go out and buy one or you, you know. Yeah. But if, given the opportunity. It's gotten better. Now after a bunch of whiskey, it. hey, yeah. let's do this. Yeah. So if you're out there listening, Fleshlight, Randy really wants you to be one of our first sponsors oh, of the podcast. Do a live stream on Justin.tv. That's right. <laughs> Randy and the Fleshlight. And that's what we'll call it. Randy and the Fleshlight. Like a children's book. Yeah. In May 2011, Rogan secured a deal with Sirius XM, a subscription-based satellite radio service, for those that don't remember, to have the podcast air on its uncensored talk channel, The Virus. That year, Rogan said that the podcast was helping his stand-up comedy as he would take ideas that arose during conversations and develop them into routines. Rogan was always working on a stand-up game, and he ran into a situation in 2007 that caused a bit of a rift in the comedy community. Rogan stepped onto the Comedy Store stage in L.A. to confront comic Carlos Mencia about allegations of the latter stealing jokes from other comedians in front of the club's audience. Brian Redman filmed the incident, 
Initially, Rogan suffered. According to the New York Times, the comedy store banned Rogan from the club and the comedian's agency dropped him. However, according to the article, Rogan had posted the clips online and had edited them together with the footage of Mencia performing jokes alongside other comedians telling similar versions of the jokes first. Yeah. The video went viral, ruining Mencia's career and reputation more and more with each click. Yep, it's true. For the majority of comedians, Rogan was looked at, still is, as a kind of a hero to the cause, Mencia said in an interview with the New York Times. It's ironic that a guy who is now saying you shouldn't cancel anybody at least started the building of his podcast by canceling me. Yeah. You know, I don't think that he went at it with that objective. I mean, because I think that there's even stories that go back to where a lot of the comedians would approach Carlos about this beforehand and be like, look, man, you got to stop. Like, I know you stole that don't joke me from X, Y, Z, man. You got to stop doing that. Come up with your own stuff. And Carlos was like, yeah, fuck you. You know, like, or just was like, whatever, I do what I want. Yeah. So after a certain amount of time, like how much leeway do you get before, you know, yeah. somebody calls you out on yeah. your shit in front of everybody? Well, and I, to be perfectly honest, Carlos Mencia absolutely stole jokes. Like, yeah, and no, the yeah, video I mean, like, showed it. Verbatim. Yeah. In yeah. fact, I... If you watch the video that Rogan showed, yeah. it is he shows the guy tell the joke, and then Mencia tell the same joke. Strangely, well, I mean, almost verbatim. Strangely yeah. enough, I was watching a video of it just a couple of months ago for some reason, went down some rabbit hole on the internet, and it was, they showed a Bill Cosby joke from back in the 80s, and then cut to Carlos Mencia in like 2005. I'm talking word for word, the same exact joke. Like same cadence of it all. Everything everything. was exactly the same. Like it was a total, it wasn't like, oh, hey, I I took uh, aspects of it and built on it. It was a straight up steal. And that sucks. I also will say that Rogan's approach was uh, incredibly aggressive. And that's where I was like, "You're, you're right to call this dude out. But it was borderline like I'm gonna like beat your ass on stage. Like it was very, it was a very aggressive confrontation. Which, hey, I mean, I I feel like you could maybe been a a bit more like uh, you know judicious about it. Maybe act as though you're a 140 pound comic instead yeah, yeah. of a 240 pound comic yeah. that can kill people. And also, I don't you know, <laughs> you know? It, like to interrupt somebody's set is rude. Yeah, uh, I I think. Just um, remember Kanye and Taylor Swift. Yeah, y'all. yeah, yeah. It's like, but that. I gotta wonder how many times had he been warned beforehand? Oh, he had. Right? Yeah. Totally. You know what I mean? Right? Like, how many laughs can you hear from somebody else's jokes before it just, you know, no, really? I, it's. It, I totally agree with uh, like calling him out on it. I just don't know that I would love the idea of like that you jump up on stage with him. That's how you do. Yeah. And you do like yeah, a, yeah. a literal, almost a physical confrontation where you're like. I can't imagine being in the audience. I'd be like, holy shit, like this is actually be pretty hype. Yeah. I do know that he feels bad about it from a sense that like he got banned from the what is it, the Laugh Factory? The comedy store. From the comedy, comedy store, yeah. which was you know Mitzi who Shores. The, yeah, Polly Shores. It's mom. literally the biggest comedy like yep. uh shop. What what do you fucking comedy call it? comedy uh, club, club? Comedy club yeah. there is. It was and, one of the first comedy clubs out in LA. Yeah. It's a it's and, a landmark. You're yeah, out in LA, sure. you see the comedy store, you know what's up. And so I know that him and Mitzi had developed quite the the relationship mm-hmm. over the years because that's where he kind of like grew up, got his legs and, you know, over on the West Coast. And they had a really good relationship. So for him to lose the respect of Mitzi in that sense, yeah. it, it was a big blow to him for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. It worked out for him in the long run. And honestly, Carlos Mencia deserved to be called out for it. But, uh, you know, there you go. And end of the day, Rogan wound up paying for the new sound system in the comedy store. 
Oh yeah, they got the whole sound system revamped. He paid for all of it. Yeah, he so. yeah he loved the place. He said like you know I don't have anything against the comedy store. I think they did the right thing yeah. by not letting me come back. But I, I hate it because I just love that place. Yeah, you know. But um yeah, the podcast itself is, in my opinion, very entertaining. As Rogan has a very knowledgeable view of a lot of different things. He has a unique way of kind of deconstructing life and isn't afraid to challenge his sometimes controversial guests in a very conversational, civil way. Joe Rogan's episodes are typically long, sometimes crossing the three-hour mark, which allows him to get deep inside the mind of his guests. Fans love his ability to engage with guests from a wide range of fields from all sides of the political spectrum. Not one to stay away from the controversial interview, Joe Rogan has had his fair share of newsworthy moments and the show that has essentially stayed in the iTunes Top 100 shows consistently since it was introduced in 2009. Perhaps the most famous episode of the Joe Rogan Experience was show number 1169, the Elon Musk episode. During his appearance, Musk talked about traffic congestion in Los Angeles and how to reduce it. One of the solutions he brought up was the tunnels that he had already begun digging. He spoke a great deal about artificial intelligence and how it could be regulated. So the boring company is his tunnel company. Um, yeah, so what is this kind interesting. of interesting? Is this kind of like how uh, Walt Disney dug the tunnels underneath uh, Walt Disney World in order so that way that all Dude, the people can go underneath yeah, there? Yeah, the concept is that you can, he set something up so you can develop tunnels quickly and then that you could create uh, traffic corridors. Like taxi systems and stuff like that? Yeah, and that's not just highway systems, like move alternate corridors yeah. through the tunnel. Okay. And, and it's, it's like a toll route, so you generate revenue. So instead of getting like, flying cars like the Jetsons promised yeah. us we're going actually under, going yeah. under that's right Elon Musk is the master of tossing out these like wild ideas like the boring company and you know flamethrowers and they, like the the hyperloop stuff like that where you're like okay it's, it's potential there or whatever it's you know and he's the the master of overselling and under delivering it's just the way it always works out. Every every quarterly like uh, thing you have with Tesla or SpaceX, yeah. he completes a lot of this stuff, which is very cool. Or he doesn't; his team does. But um, like with a boring company, I don't know how it's going to play out because there's a lot that comes with that. It's a complicated process and concept where you're like on its face, you're like, oh cool, yeah, just make a tunnel that you can just drive through. Think of the liability on that exactly on a, a private company. Well, and also something like that were to go wrong. And yeah, get, and like collapse yeah, of Los Angeles. Yeah, and that's why I think that you don't hear about it a lot aside from just like, oh, we also have the boring company also. But it might be crazy in like 15 years, all of a sudden like, hey, the 405 now has three alternate loops underground. Yeah. Thank you, boring company. It's $1.75 per car to go through. It could, it could be the case. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but I just know. I, you know, uh, I've learned not to doubt Elon. Mm -hmm. You know, I. Have your opinion about him. Mm -hmm. The dude's like one of those wizard guys in life that mm. just he's kind of a unicorn, man. He's yeah. Well, shit's getting dicey right now with him and Twitter. Yeah, so. whatever. I, just, I'm, that's I'm, just a social media platform. I'm he interested got, to see what's going to happen. During, well, the problem for him with Twitter is that he basically got a gun put to his head by a court in Delaware that was like, "No, you, you got to buy this. You have to yeah. buy this." And it's a forty-four billion dollar pickup, and now he's lost eighty-eight percent of his staff. Yeah. And I don't know how... Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. I read some story about they let go of the guy that was in charge of building security, yeah. and everybody left and couldn't get back in because their badges didn't work, Yeah, and they had to call him back. Yeah. Like, hey, we can't get back yeah. in. Man, that's yeah. a horrible yeah. walk of that's shame tough. right yeah. there. And he it's, leveraged his Tesla stock to make this purchase yeah. and then made some interesting deals with like Saudi Arabia and stuff like that. And like I said, he, he's definitely done... like SpaceX especially has been incredibly uh, impressive with what they've done. 
But I also know just from watching Tesla for years uh, as just an investor, I'm always like every he's he's the master of oversell. He's a great salesman, but in terms of what actually gets delivered, people seem to like just gloss over that. He's like, we are going to deliver three hundred thousand brand new cars this yeah. quarter, and yeah. I was like, well, what's the actual number? Fifty thousand. He's like, but next quarter it's going to be six hundred thousand. Next quarter it's like a <laughs> hundred thousand. You're like, told you, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's just, and then you have a group of people, and it's the same thing sort of with Joe Rogan. That's why I think there's some overlap there. Is that you have a dedicated fanboy base that is just like they can do no wrong. Sure, absolutely. And like they're like even right now. It's what it's interesting watching the Twitter situation because like you're like this is catastrophic. Like you've lost 88 percent of your staff, and you can say that you're like trying to run lean, but this is like devastating, especially because there's a lot of stuff that's coming through like regulatory wise that I don't know that you can keep up with, and obviously even like with the blue checks right. causing problems. Yep. And the, all of a sudden these the Elon fanboys come up and they're like it's called whaling and culling. Okay, it's a normal thing, and what he's doing is fucking genius. And I'm like, you know. Maybe he's fucking up here, dude, and you guys just can't admit it yet. Right. And there's always kind of a couple like sides to the story. Because if you listen to him talk, mm-hmm. most of the time he can take those situations where people may question his shit, and he can defend it very well. Yeah. He is extremely intelligent. so smart, man. It's just, it's you know, it's easy to be armchair quarterback and kind of second guess his shit. I just have a... a I'm not necessarily a fanboy. Mm-hmm. I don't drive a Tesla. I mm-hmm. can't afford a Tesla. Mm-hmm. Um, but just have a huge respect for him and what he does. It, it, what he does. He's he is extremely intelligent. Kind of a unicorn in the world, man. You mm-hmm. don't get many like that dude. You yeah, know what I mean? Sure. And I don't give Bezos the credit that I give Musk. Because Bezos has grown his one business into what it is, well, right? Be- I think uh, what's interesting with Bezos is that I think people sleep on how smart Bezos is actually with uh, the way that he looks at things. And and then you think about like Amazon is one business, but when you're looking at it from an investment side, everybody thinks of Amazon as like, Oh cool. People buy shit from there. They're not calculating what AWS is worth, which is like uh, literally the infrastructure for the internet. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. actually, it's, yeah, it's a it's bigger, massive. it's a bigger revenue stream than, than, Amazon. than Amazon to like the we store use AWS is. at the, in my job. Everybody does. And yeah. that's what like, that's it's, he he's done it quietly in, in in a weird way, but like I said, it, Elon Musk is a great great salesman and stuff like that, and he can usually pick the the right people to put in there, and then he gets sort of sidetracked with shit like I'm gonna start a flamethrower company. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> the Elon Musk episode received negative publicity as Musk was seen smoking a blunt with Rogan during the episode. As a result of Musk's appearance and demeanor on the podcast, Tesla's stock price dropped considerably lower, about nine percent. However. It shot back up the next day and gained more than it had ever dropped. Mm -hmm. The weed-smoking memes of Elon that came out of the show were fucking legendary. The one where he's just like got that look on his face with the blood in his hand. Like, as somebody who has been a part of many circles in the day, I must say that Elon's hit on that blunt was hella weak. He was not inhaling. Yeah, he He didn't. I don't. I don't think he really inhaled. He even said later on that he didn't inhale because it was. It was looked like a. They were. They were doing a shoot for a rap video uh, CD cover. Yeah, like, just like hella smoke. You like know? yeah, that that was, the the smoke sat very thick in his oh, mouth, yeah. you know, and uh, didn't have that kind of yeah. thinned out. I want to see. Effect. I want to see a thin stream come out of both nostrils, homie. <laughs> Hands up! Give me all your money. Well, enough money for a cheeseburger from the value menu, at least. We are now live on Patreon. Find us there at AHC Podcast to get all the latest episodes of Conspiracy Court, ad-free shows. Shoutouts, stickers, and a whole lot more. It would be a crime if you didn't. 
Big thanks to all of our fans, and we appreciate all your support. Let's dive back into the action. Another controversial guest he had on the show was political talk show host and author Candace Owens. Owens joined Joe in 2018 to discuss an array of political topics. Among the topics discussed were her views on climate change. Her quote says, I think the climate always changes, I guess. Do I believe that this is like an issue that global warming, which they've changed conveniently, got rid of the word once scientists started disapproving it now that only say climate change? No, I think that was just a way to extract dollars from Americans. Mm. To Rogan's credit, he stated his opinion that it would take lots and lots of data from lots of different scientists to come out and say that global warming isn't real. He then asked her if she had done any of this or if it was just a flippant opinion to toe the party line. Pretty well played there, Joe. You know, we don't talk politics on the show, and we still won't, but over the past few months, it's been fucking crazy to see how the different parties have found candidates that they think their voters will vote for based off their looks or prior job that had nothing to do with politics. Mm -hmm. It's like they're finding these puppets that fit the mold of what they think people will vote for Mm -hmm. and are somehow getting them into place to run for office. Mm -hmm. And here we are. Well, I mean, look at a person like Candace Owens. Candace Owens is nothing but a straight-up political grifter. You know yeah, 100%. It's so easy. It's and 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 they'll absolutely incorporate her into whatever they want because as a black woman, they can always point and be like, "See, yeah. we're definitely not racist and whatever." And she says some shit that is outlandish, dude. It is absurd. She uh, said climate change wasn't real. Yeah, that's what and that's a that's, that's, a, that's a common like a, that's a common take yeah. on for the conservative movement or whatever, which again is I I think is entirely horseshit. But like I said, why why is anybody talking to her about this, right? And yeah. that's the thing that's irritating is I'm like, you can have an opinion or whatever, but why would that even be a, like a, a topical conversation point? Like you have no background in climate science and that's or any thing. science Rogan at all. Rogan asked her, have you done any of yeah. this? And she was like, no. Yeah. He's like, was well, this just a flippant opinion then based off what you believe? Which is good that he pushes back in that in that point. Yeah. yeah. This was like back in 9-11 when they were like, we're going to Ja Rule live on the scene. Yeah. 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 It's like, just fucked up, y'all. Yeah. Or even, even more like, sort of uh insidious is being like oh we're talking to this engineer and he says it's definitely it was a controlled demolition and it turns out that he's like a mechanical engineer right yeah you, know, you can't just okay you know what i'm saying it's like being domestic like, engineer yeah we're gonna talk to this chiropractor about cancer he yeah. has a doctor in front of his name <laughs> you know what i'm saying but that's the thing too like in, in that particular instance it's cool that he pushed back but i've seen a lot of times where Joe Rogan is not, I'm not saying he's a dumb person. He's a smart guy. I just don't think that he is like equipped a lot of times to push back for some of the guests that he brings on. So he just sort of lets them run with it. I think he kind of chooses when to lean in and when to lean back. Yeah. I I think he could absolutely sit and hang with a lot of these intellectuals, but he chooses sometimes to pick and choose his battles. And maybe it has to do a little bit with, you know, do, did he smoke a joint beforehand and is he kind of just giving them a little bit of leeway or is he like, you know, 100% sober and like yeah. more ready to go toe to toe with yeah. some of these different uh, people that he's interviewing? It's part of the it comes with the territory when you have like a, a, a broad range of subjects that you're bringing people on about. I think he's an absolute uh, expert when it comes to things like mixed martial arts and especially when it comes. I mean, you know like that and then he's comedy he understands the comedy game he understands like how hollywood works he obviously is good at podcasting but it's hard for him i think it's not to sit here and again disparage him but there's moments where you're like i'm watching i'm like these are points where you should be pushing back where someone's saying something absurd and you're just 
letting it just wash over sure. and, you know, maybe do a little bit more research before you bring this person on and let them just have three hours of, of talk time on something. I'm going to be on the contrary to that because I think that there is plenty of times where there are people who are so-called experts in their field that come on and they start going, you know, through X, mm -hmm. Y, and Z. And he's like, hey, well, what about, you know, mm -hmm. A, B, and C? Yeah. I think that he does push back uh, a lot. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's just certain aspects that you've seen in the couple episodes that you've watched that, yeah. you know, don't feel like he's really pushing back. Totally true. And you've I'll, watched more than I have. And so I'll, I can't and I'll throw this out there, too. The guy wears so many different hats and he's done 1,200 episodes of a show. Yeah. Think about it. He may have a show or a hundred mm -hmm. where he doesn't get a ton of prep time mm -hmm. before the guest comes on. Yeah. Cause he's recording because every like three days or every two days, uh, they, something yeah, like that. It's crazy. His recording schedule is nuts. So well, they're, they're recording all the time. He's doing his UFC gig. He's doing just all kinds of, he's super busy dude. So I could see it where if like every 10th episode, he didn't quite get to read up on everything this guy had to offer mm -hmm. and went into it a little blind. Like I don't fault the guy because mm -hmm. like, Hell, we go into our episodes and blatantly say, ah, I didn't do any research. Yeah. Let's fucking do this. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, sure. It's true. I mean, so but you're right about that. Now, what I, what I will say, though, is that like when you have somebody that you know is is a um, polarizing guest or sure. is, is controversial. Sure. That's when you should really be like, OK, let me oh, let me let me jump in here yeah, and make sure. Go. Sure. And I didn't I don't see it sometimes. And I'm like, it's cool. to. I don't have a problem bringing people on necessarily. I don't think Alex Jones should get a platform fucking anywhere, to be honest, because Absolutely. everything he does is just like a net negative. But, uh, and, and, you know, if you have a guy that wants to come on and talk about like how cool mushrooms are and stuff like that, I'm like, that's cool. Yeah, just let it let it run. But if you're having somebody on there that has like very controversial opinions, like you should be ready with some pushback on certain things unless you agree with it. Sure. Because then if you're not, then you're sort of in a way you're sort of complicitly agreeing with what they're saying by giving them a platform and then allowing them to just run with it. Absolutely. Your silence is a, a silent agreement yeah, yeah. in a way. It's the old yeah. thing. Like if you sit at a, a table with nine Nazis, there's 10 Nazis at a table. Yeah. Yeah. And what's controversy without a snitch involved? Another one of Rogan's most famous episodes is with famed tattletaler Edward Snowden. The episode took place in 2019 and has well over 35 million views on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Snowden was responsible for the highly publicized National Security Agency leaks in 2013. The NSA leaks saw classified information being leaked online and generated discussions about Internet security. During his appearance on the JRE via video call, he was critical of global surveillance. He discussed the many strategies in which smartphones can be and are used as a tool for gathering personal information. Quote, this is what a real world conspiracy looks like. It doesn't have to be a smoking man behind closed doors. It's lawyers and politicians. It's ordinary people to management level, unquote. Yep. So he's not I, wrong. I'm management level and I'm fucking in on it. Yeah. I mean, well, Snowden was absolutely right. I mean, and you can question why he released that information. I think he was naive about the ramifications uh, of it. Yeah. I mean, not just for his own personal life, because it's like, yes, this is stuff that uh, I remember when this happened. A friend of mine was just like, I fucking told you they've been listening to everything you're doing. And I'm like, I sort of suspected anyways that when you have a network of information like this, that they're absolutely tracking what you're doing and they can like sort of like get to a granular level as they need to. But it isn't like some dude like 1984 Big Brother that's like right. watching me through my television. Right, right. It's a little different. Now, 
the problem with Snowden was that he was naive in how it, it plays in like global politics, which is why he's sitting in Russia right now. Yep. Yeah. And I sincerely believe that Russia like gave him a pass to come over with the idea that it was like, you're going to give us Everything. all this information. Yeah. yeah. And I, that's not necessarily great. Even though what we were doing was not great, obviously I'm like, it's also like you're getting used by a party that's actually worse. Right. Yeah. Right. Just for safe haven. It's, it's complicated. It's, it's yeah. incredibly complicated. So. For sure. But I also would love to have a conversation with Edward Snowden. No, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah. I mean, like, because I mean, like he gave up a pretty sweet gig in Hawaii. Yeah. You know, like living the life and probably had all the money that he wanted. I think he was sincere in w what he thought he was doing. I think he just became a political pawn. Yeah, he, I think he greatly underestimated like the wave that would have happened afterwards yeah. of him disseminating the information. Yep. Yep. So like Mikey just mentioned, Alex Jones has been a featured guest on the Joe Rogan Experience several times throughout its 11-year run. The highly controversial conspiracy theorist was banned by YouTube, Facebook, and Apple in 2018. So his surprise appearance in a 2020 episode immediately sparked backlash. Because Rogan had just signed a $100 million contract with Spotify a few months earlier, this caused critics to put intense scrutiny on the deal. According to several reports, employees at the streaming company demanded that the episode be deleted. The episode wound up staying up, and Spotify ultimately decided to give Rogan freedom to choose who he invites on his show. Yeah. So he has full reign as to who he invites on the show. Yeah. Sure. And that's sort fair. of an issue I think I that's very fair, right? Like, and, you know there's a lot of gray area because he signed with Spotify a hundred million exclusivity deal. There's not a lot about the deal that would spark censorship, right? Because they pretty much told him you can, you do you and we got you. Well, I mean, as we've seen time and time again, he will constantly turn down deals and he owned the Joe Rogan experience yeah. in that sense. Mm -hmm. Like in order to like move to a platform where he's going to be completely exclusive I got to assume it was on his terms. And I listened to the episode with Alex Jones. Mm -hmm. Him and Alex Jones, like, they talk. He said, you're my friend, pretty much. Yeah. He's like, we talk. We're friends, you know, which is, to me, a little alarming, right? Yeah. That's yeah, just me. of course. It's little, well, to all three of us here, because yeah, say everybody yeah. knows how we feel about yeah. Alex. It, Alex was in our fucking courtroom. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's a little alarming. But to kind of, I guess, criticize him for... Pulling a friend of his episodes off his show, you can see that angle. But if you look at who that friend is, that's a whole nother argument, right? Yeah, well, that's the thing. And that's what I'm getting at. Like, I'm not for... Like, I agree with you. Alex yeah. Jones doesn't need a platform. No, anywhere, no. And that's I'm like, I'm not for censorship, but I'm like, if someone is coming out and it's just like dangerous ideas and stuff like that, it is, in a sense, it's a contagion. Yep. And there's a lot of people that it can be susceptible that's to right. this, what is just objectively bullshit. Yep. And not just bullshit, but dangerously objectively bullshit. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Like, that's right. That's, that's exactly the thing. right. Like, yeah. And dangerous. for him, to, that, that's why the, the poor families from Sandy Hook were getting terrorized by people. That was the first 20 minutes of that episode yeah. was Alex Jones to try to clear his name about yeah. it. He did say, I initially said Sandy Hook was yeah. fake. Yeah. And then I had to retract my statements because I found out it was real. He said that because he was to come out and even say it was fake, dude, because, are you fucking serious? And the only reason he said it is because he was getting fucking skewered legally yeah. because it was going to cost him yeah. so much money. He was happy to do it when it made him money, yep. when it took money off of his fucking plate. Then he was like, oh, no, no whoa, I never whoa, said whoa, whoa, whoa. that. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. I'm like, it's 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 the equivalent of giving somebody like a bullhorn and yelling fire in a fucking uh, movie theater, man. Like there is danger to allowing certain people to have a massive platform to say certain things that it is what it is. People can disagree with me all day, but I'm just like, you know, it's not censorship. It's just being, it's like common sense shit. 
Yeah, it's interesting to see that. And like the comparison I'll give up to it is I just recently watched uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee Mm -hmm. and Jerry had Michael Richards on Mm -hmm. the show. And at a certain point, he kind of went into the, you know, yeah, I did that thing at that comedy show and I really shouldn't have like I let that guy get to me and I really should have just, you know, turned the other cheek. But I didn't. But man, that really fucked with me. Like, I mean, like it really kind of destroyed me as a person. And in that moment, like I really did feel like Michael Richards was being sincere and like he changed his ways. Whereas like, you know, with Alex Jones going on to the Joe Rogan podcast, it's just more like I'm doing damage control here. Yeah. Yeah. And Michael Richards Richards was never inciting people to go out there and yell the N word people either. This is that's why it's slightly different, because like Alex Jones is inciting people to like take action about conspiracies that aren't real yeah yeah and yeah, that's yeah, yeah. really what's problematic too and the other thing is like okay cool you know if, if that's the thing if you're like i'm gonna have open platform it's free speech like no matter what happens anybody can be here and talk well push back a little bit more exactly you yeah oh, for yeah. sure that's for all, sure. And, and that's the things like that's the one yeah i have a hard time with and I'll, i will give fair heat to that because he it feels as though and i don't want to put feelings into somebody's you know gut the older he gets the more rogan goes to the get off my lawn guy. And I got to remind people, we talk about Alex Jones. He came into our courtroom and scored an 8.5. Yeah. Right. He, in our opinion, is the same level as R. Kelly, who molested kids and is in prison, and John McAfee, who killed someone. Yeah. yeah. Two people, I believe. Yeah, 100%. Because we said that the bar roughly is at about 7.0 when we actually say that they've committed murder. Yeah. But we do have some people that kind of supersede that, in a sense, yeah. in special yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, special yeah. instances. But, yeah, no, Alex Jones definitely jumped the shark in that sense. Yeah, they ruined those fucking the lives of people who had their kids shot up in a school dude and that's just one of the things that he's right, done right. so they, yeah. and like i said go listen to that episode if you want to get the whole run on it but that's my big beef is especially with that particular episode i think that sort of you could extrapolate that a lot of times to some of the more controversial guests that he has where I, i'm like i don't feel that you're pushing back enough on certain things that are obviously bullshit yeah fair but rogan himself has gotten into some hot water over the years for a number of different reasons In a December 2021 episode, guest Robert W. Malone compared the U.S. reaction to the pandemic to the rise of Nazi Germany, Mm. claiming that a mass formation psychosis had developed among its residents. Clips from the interview were taken down by YouTube as violations of its COVID-19 misinformation rules. An open letter by 270 U.S. healthcare professionals, scientists, and professors called for Spotify to drop the podcast, citing the interview and Rogan's concerning history of broadcasting misinformation, particularly regarding the COVID-19 pandemic. Later that month, musician Neil Young threatened to pull his music from Spotify if the company did not drop Rogan, saying Rogan was disseminating COVID-19 vaccine misinformation. After the company declined his request, Young's music was removed from Spotify on January 26th. You guys remember this? Yeah, I do. Yeah, and it, uh, it's like from Spotify's point of view, bottom line thing, you're like, all right, I'll lose a quarter or I'll, tell I'll lose $100. I'll tell you guys in just a moment the equivalency of Rogan's podcast versus what musicians have to do to equal his impact, right? Sure, mm-hmm. sure. All right. Joni Mitchell also removed her music from Spotify in solidarity with Young, as has Bruce Springsteen's guitarist, Niles Lofgren. <laughs> Big hit there. Uh, Singer David Draymond, on the other hand, applauded Spotify's decision, saying that I may not agree with everything Rogan or his guests say, but they're entitled to have the forum to say it. Separately, popular podcaster Brene Brown said on Twitter that she would 
not be releasing any podcasts until further notice. Yep. So he got a lot of backlash from the whole deal with the Nazi guy on there. Yeah, that's everybody's and, right. And, and the COVID-19 misinformation, I guess. Well, that was I know the big that, kicker. I know that that was a big issue for him. That Not that he didn't believe in COVID-19, but just the... A lot of the, the lockdown procedures yeah. and like a lot of the stuff that because I mean, like he's a comedian. He goes around. He makes his uh, living, you know, I mean, outside of the Spotify hundred million dollar deal. Yeah. He doesn't have to worry about going to hit his gigs anymore. But, but that's what yeah, he loves doing. Yeah, you know sure, what I mean? Sure. So like and honestly, that's his people. Right. Exactly. Those are his boys. Are the guys still grinding? They don't all have hundred million dollar deals. Yeah. So and I mean, like at the end of the day. Everything that went on during lockdown, in a sense, was very confusing, in a sense. Like, certain states were like, yeah, come on, let's party. Other sure. states were like, no, we're completely locked down. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's kind of hard. And to his credit, he was one of the few dudes that was like, why is it any time that anybody says anything about it, it's immediately struck down, in a sense. Like, nobody can have any real open discussions on these podcasts or anything like that to where we're like talking on both sides of it it always sure. just has to be the one message mm -hmm. otherwise sure. everything's getting struck and that's kind of the beauty of his podcast i know mikey you've called that a couple of times where it doesn't seem that way but if you watch a lot of the show that is what it's kind of the back and forth it's the volley right yeah it's a civil volley mm -hmm. it's kind of that that's i think why his podcast is the number one podcast downloaded he gives people the time to talk we talked about it mm -hmm. but it's a civil conversation and I'll talk about it in just a second. This this quote this guy had was just really, really good. But it's just people enjoy listening to someone give them the opportunity to talk, but yet kind of ask the questions that you're thinking while you're listening to it. Sure, sure, That, sure. I think, is probably one of the biggest kickers. Yeah. So in February of 2022, just this year, singer-songwriter India Ari shared a compilation of Rogan saying the racial slur N-word on the Joe Rogan experience on Instagram. Rogan apologized, calling his past language regretful and shameful, while also saying that the clips were taken out of context and he only quoted the slur to discuss its use by others. Rogan described the video compilation as a political hit job. A number of UFC fighters and celebrities he's interacted with over the years came to defend Rogan after the accusation. Okay. Interesting. So he, he, he had said the N-word out loud. On this podcast, you'll never hear that word. No. no. That, that's a hard line. We'll never do that. But then again, we've also started doing this podcast starting in 2020, 2019. I think in 2012, we still would probably avoid it. No, you're right. No, <laughs> you are. But I mean, but I, still, honestly, the, I think that's just kind of how we're wired as dudes. Yeah. We don't say that word. That's just that's and, how and we that's, are. But I mean, honestly, let's look at Tropic Thunder. All right. Like sure. even when when did that movie come out? Yes. But in all fairness, the joke in Tropic Thunder wasn't that he was intentionally like being it was how absurd it is to go full blackface and be an actor which is why like I, this is but what i was on. talking on about on the flip side of that robert downey jr said that he would never do that movie in today's landscape yeah and that's on him but i'm thinking like the the thing for tropic thunder for me was that the joke was how absurd it was that was the joke it wasn't that he was a black guy it was that it was absurd for an actor to put on blackface and win an academy award and the, bill burr dropped some shit sometimes where you're like Yes, but you know that it's coming from like a place that it is mocking the idea of just like inherent racism and stuff like that. Sure, and that's the difference. People talk about all the time like you couldn't make those. Bill jokes Burr is now. one of my favorite Love people Bill on Burr. the planet, and he's married to a black woman. He is. So yeah, yeah. but I'm like you. I, I think that you could absolutely do Tropic Thunder again now because the joke wasn't about blackface; it was about an actor. <laughs> Being like uh, in blackface, yeah. An actor, but go, an, an actor going so method that he went full black, and that which is absurd. That which is why it's funny. 
but that's where you would find it funny. But so many of our children would sit there and boycott it to the heavens. And cause such a, you know, could possibly cause that internet wave to turn. Welcome to today's world, boys. Yeah. Spotify refused to carry 42 episodes of the JRE podcast when it acquired the exclusive rights. Spotify says it spoke to Rogan about his history of using some racially insensitive language. And it says in an internal memo that Rogan selected 70 episodes, which were removed on February 4th, 2022, all of which predate the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm Mm-hmm. So he pulled his own shows off, if any he have used any insensitive language. Yeah. Ari complained that the fraction of a penny royalties Spotify was paying to musicians in comparison with the $100 million deal Rogan had received for his exclusivity agreement with Spotify. Spotify later said in an internal memo it would be committing $100 million to create and promote audio from creators from historically marginalized groups. So they're going to match their commitment to Rogan with a commitment to folks from historically marginalized groups. Okay. Yeah. Good nice. For them. Absolutely. The podcast itself puts up insane listening numbers, rocking an estimated 200 million downloads each month. Mm-hmm. Wow. Making him the most popular podcaster in the U.S. Easily. Wow. 200 yeah. million a month, boys. That's insane. Isn't it? And that big old Spotify deal I mentioned, well... When Spotify signed the deal with Rogan in 2020 for the exclusive rights to his podcast, the industry took notice. Before this, podcasts were everywhere, and their platform agnostic status was central to their appeal to creators and audiences. The deal was a gamble, but one based on the numbers. As one music journalist put it in May of 2020, Spotify values Rogan more than any musician in the history of the world. The reason? A musician would need to generate 23 billion streams on Spotify to earn what they're paying Joe Rogan for his podcast rights. 23 billion streams a musician would have to get to earn on Spotify what Joe Rogan earns. Yeah, to get Rogan canceled at the weekend and and Drake combined, they're going to have to be like, you know what? We're tapping out. Then they'd be like, "Mm, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like Rihanna tapping out as well. Yeah, Yeah, and Beyonce just like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Neil Young, you're like, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, it's fine. Southern man. I mean, you know, the only person that's listening to that is like my dad. (laughs) And my dad. Yeah. Southern man. (laughs) Shout out to Buddy's dad. That's right. What's important about Joe Rogan is also the type of listener he attracts. Media Monitors says that Rogan's listenership is 71% male and evenly split between high school and post-secondary graduates. Some 57% of his audience report earnings over 50000 per year, with 19% making over 100000 a year, with an average age of 24 years old. Mm. So, prime male, high testosterone. Yeah. Pretty well earning. He's dudes. a fucking machine. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. He, he makes, especially he, being 50 plus, 50, 55 years old. To be able to reach dudes 24 consistently. Right. Yeah, that's insane, especially in today's market. He makes tons of money. Yep. The podcast has been described as an important node of the intellectual dark web and has featured a diverse ideological mixture of political guests, including Democratic presidential candidates and conservative figures. In a more critical article for National Review, writer Theodore Kupfer wrote that the podcast hosted by, quote, a weed smoking DMT obsessive whose most cherished political cause is the quest to end male circumcision has become one of the last bastions for civil discussion in contemporary America. That was the quote I was talking about. That's an interesting quote right there. Where he's like, this guy's so fucked up. Man, his podcast is like one of the last places you'll find like this civil discussion of people talking about stuff. 
One thing Joe Rogan has been an advocate for over the years is the legalization of marijuana and his very public use of psychedelic drugs, namely DMT. Although Joe Rogan didn't become a regular cannabis consumer until his 30s, he has proudly integrated the plant into his everyday life. Rogan's involvement with the cannabis industry is as indirect as it is valuable. He's become one of the industry's most cherished personalities for his incessant calling out of cannabis's positive, therapeutic, and mind-opening potential. Rogan's public advocacy efforts started out two years before the launch of his podcast when he hosted the 2007 documentary film The Union, the business behind Getting High. The movie explored marijuana use, the cannabis industry, and the reasons behind its prohibition in the United States. Rogan also participated in the 2014 sequel of the film called The Culture High. Rogan is not an all-out, anything-goes marijuana supporter, though. Having cannabis legalization as a top priority is his view of the country's political agenda. He's known to routinely bring up his subject during his interviews. Often enough, he's stood behind the responsive development of comprehensive cannabis legislation, one that treats the plant with the responsibility it deserves. In a conversation with political commentator Ben Shapiro, one of Mikey's favorite people, Mm -hmm. Rogan stated that the importance of regulating marijuana use amongst teenagers and young adults pointing out scientific research showing the effects of marijuana use in the developing brain. Yeah. And that is one thing. Like, you don't want 15, 16-year-old kids smoking weed a lot. No, especially as a bunch of 15 and 16-year-olds who smoked weed. Like, I can see the benefit of, like, waiting until the frontal lobe is fully developed before you start to imbibe in it. Right. But on the flip side, I think it should be heavily regulated, in a sense, in the same way that alcohol is. Sure. And that was one of my biggest gripes that I had was that, like, you know, growing up in the town that we grew up in, Alcohol was so difficult to get a hold of. Sure. Because it was regulated in a sense. But man, weed, the, the weed dealer never asked me for my ID. He just wanted my money. Sure, and, that's right. You know, so I think that if we were to regulate it, it would help keep it out of the hands of teenagers in that sense. It's funny. The idea that there's still a debate about recreational use of marijuana is laughable at this point. I just, I I mean, again, we're talking about, yes, regulate it, make sure that you have age limits and stuff like that. You don't want your kids uh, doing that. But it just always strikes me as crazy that there are still people out there and Ben Shapiro being one of them that is like not about weed legalization as far as I recall or whatever. And you're just like, dude, Shut the fuck up, dude. It's like it's wild to me. I, but it's funny because I remember in the 90s, my dad telling me one time in a conversation, and my dad was like pro-marijuana legalization, but he was just like, it'll never happen. And now I'm like, it's we're almost there. We almost. just got to get that Supreme Court case. You got to yeah. get that test yeah. case and get it done with. And it'll happen within the next five to ten years. Yeah, but That's what I keep hearing, though. And I, I well, the longer think, I but, live in Georgia, the but, more I'm like, oh, it's but think 20 about years how, away. Think about how far we've come. In the past 10 years where recreational use is, we've gone from medicinal in 96 in California mm-hmm. where that was like a big deal. And now you're getting recreational use everywhere. Every uh, election cycle, you're getting more and more states that are picking it up. The reason I say you need that Supreme Court test case is because then you'll get a federal law where everybody's just like, yeah. just shut the fuck up. Yeah, and that's like, where they, they can actually use banks and stuff like yeah. that. I mean, and- we're already in a place now where Colorado and Oregon are allowing like legalization of like psilocybin and shit. Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. I mean, yeah. like it's, it's not that far off. Yeah. Of all the psychedelics he's a fan of, his favorite is DMT, which famous author Hunter S. Thompson once said was like being shot out of a cannon. Rogan loves it thinks everyone could benefit from it often uses his podcast to fulminate positively on its various perception enhancing benefits yeah dmt is a mind-altering substance it is it is i think i'm the only one on the podcast who has no idea 
about it, unfortunately. And we'll leave it at that. And that, boys, <laughs> is Joe Rogan. All right, let's get some final scores for the world's most famous podcaster. Buddy, what do you got? All right, so for me, I really enjoyed this episode. I've been looking forward to doing this one for a while now. For sure. And, uh, you know, I just, I really like Joe. I enjoyed his earlier career, you know, coming up as a uh, martial arts guy, going through the Fear Factor stage. Um, I had forgotten that he was on news radio, and I, I loved news radio. I don't really recall his character too much on there at the end of the day. He was a minor character. Yeah. He was one of the side guys. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but he did say that was his favorite job of all time. There's a lot of people from that show that say that that was just such a great experience overall. Phil Hartman was on there, and I mean, God bless Phil Hartman. Phil talked about coming over from maybe it was SNL, yeah, and line, coming yeah. into that, and he was like, it was so, such a polar opposite experience because like it was so strict, and everybody just was kind of like out to get each other on SNL just for that primetime spot and like more airtime. But then when he went over to news radio, it was just amazing. Everybody just the just camaraderie, to make it, yeah, 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 it was just awesome. Um, I loved Joe on Fear Factor. I've enjoyed many episodes of the podcast of the Joe Rogan experience. I will say that there are many episodes that I've skipped over the years. Not from a sense of... You haven't of, seen all 1,200? No, oh, not yeah, even okay. close. Like, I'd say I maybe have heard maybe 10% of his show okay. at the end of the day. Um, there's yeah, still like 12,000 hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of, yeah. of consumption. But no, I, I enjoy his perspective on things and... The one, I guess, asterisk I see on it is the Carlos Mencia ordeal. I personally kind of stand on the the fence of where Joe, along with other comics, had warned Carlos many, many, many times. And that was just the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Do I think that the way that he handled it was the correct way? Not at all. But I also can't really fault him for finally just snapping and then that's the way that it happened. There's been plenty of times in my life where... Something happened and I've handled a situation incorrectly, but my emotions were there and it was something that I felt strongly about. And then I've had regret about it later on. Like the time you chunked a 40 ounce Coke into my car That's and right. I chased you down. And You know, that was only the only regret I have about that really at caught. the end of the day was getting caught. <laughs> the physical, yeah. the, the physical <laughs> toll. As, a, as a teenager at that time, you know, the, the emotions were high in that moment and I felt justified only because <laughs> you threw the Coke first. I did. And I sidestepped it. You, that was a very, that was a critical error on your part. <laughs> I should have taken the lid off yeah. or just slung uh, the Coke in general. So, uh, so outside of the Carlos Mencia episode, you know, that's the only thing that I can really ding him for, but I still think that it was, uh, not justified, but I don't really knock him for it. Mm -hmm. So originally I had Joe Rogan at a 4.9 along with Kid Rock and, um, I'll say for the way that he handled that particular situation, I'm going to tick him up just a little bit, but not by much. I don't think he deserves to go up into the 5.0 level, but I'm going to end him at the end of the day right where we had him pre-show with a 4.96. All right, 4.96 for Buddy. Mikey, what's your take on your final score for Joe Rogan? Uh, yeah, I'm sort of the same point I was at the beginning. Everything I said initially I feel like is still the same after all this. It didn't change after the last hour and a half? No, it really didn't because, I mean, like, it's sort of I went in with the same idea I had afterwards. Like, I feel like he could do a better job in terms of, you know, selecting show guests and recognizing 
that some of them have incredibly controversial views and pushing back a bit more on those when he needs to. Props to him for calling Candace Owens out on climate change but why even have candace owens on at all like i don't i mean i i know why i mean you're gonna get a, a ton of people that want to watch candace that's owens, right you know? that's why and on the flip side i think she might be somebody that we feature in the courtroom at some point yeah yeah yeah, yeah. she's she's not a great person for sure but yeah like i said why would you have candace owens on she's not an expert at anything she's a, a political fucking bomb thrower that's all she does what's the value in that conversation you know i mean there's there's a lot there uh again I think he's great at what he does when he uh, MMA commentary. I think he's honestly, I think he's a decent guy. I think what's happened when he got the Spotify deal and then sort of like got sucked into this whole thing lately where you have to kind of be in a political vacuum. It seems right. Well, it's not just so much that, but it's just like he's in that crowd now where everything they just talk about incessantly is how like cancel culture and how they much they hate it. And I'm just like, it's just so so annoying to me but it's also hard for comedians in that sense because like they grew up with the eddie murphy's and the richard pryor i do remember one comedian saying all comedy is is offending people and like what level of offensive behavior can you tolerate is the level of comedy you can tolerate i'm like he obviously has uh he has a choice of whatever he wants to do Mm -hmm. he can obviously make whatever joke he wants to and we've talked about this in the ellen degeneres episode i went on that for a while there and i and i still stick to that it's very irritating to me when these guys that are huge comedians just sit there and their entire set now is moaning about them not being able to make jokes just do the joke just do the joke dude like you know and if it's mean-spirited you're gonna fucking eat shit on it but even if you make jokes you're you know that aren't you're you know no matter what i mean we got a comment this last week that uh, it was, you know, the, trying to drive a, a fucking nail into us. You know, I'm like, that comes to the territory. Yeah. So get used to fucking criticism yeah, or, sure. and, and stop right. being a bitch. So, you know, honestly, the guy who wrote the comment can fuck off, but it's the same thing. <laughs> like, I'll don't ex- read the comments, Mikey. I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying like, it's not going to stop me from doing what I'm doing. Don't like, good. I'll don't still, good. I'll, I'll still, good. I'll still make those jokes Hell and still yeah, do whatever do I want to do. That's why we love you. Exactly. So there you go. Uh, that's my biggest irritation with him. Again, the Alex Jones thing was, I think was uh, irresponsible to, to the extent that I'm like, don't give the guy a platform. But at the end of the day, I'm going to leave him at a five because I feel like, honestly, and, and some people could be upset with this. They may think that, like, some people, like, legitimately hate this guy. I don't hate him. I think he's a good guy. Some people love him. I don't love this guy. I think he's just a dude that has done well for himself in life, and I think he has certain skill sets that are interesting. But, you know, the more he veers into the, like, whole, like, I all I do is hate cancel culture, it's just obnoxious at this point. All right. Randy, bring us home. All right. So, you know what? Doing a lot of the research for the show and writing this one, um, going into it, obviously, I gave my pre-show score to 5.0, which is, you know, kind of what my general thought of him was. Kind of more of an aggressive, kind of maybe overbearing personality that did great in the podcast world. You do the research. I got mad respect for this guy. And I've I've known about Joe Rogan for 20 plus years. Or sure. 20-ish years. Sure, sure, sure. He's just phenomenal. It Everything he kind of gets into he's really good at and i kind of respect that you know like i started off in the intro read about jack of all trades master of none like i have a lot of useless knowledge but like there's a lot of things that i just i'm not good at but i wish i was you know sure the things that he is really good at he is really good at and and you know you wonder about that also like maybe he does you know we talked about him turning down a lot of stuff along the way yeah i wonder how much he does turn down just because he's like i can't do that in a sense but he just hyper focuses on the stuff that he is absolutely but on the flip side of everything 
he has a massive, the biggest platform to let people come and talk. And he built that from the ground up as absolutely, well. Absolutely. And there's a lot of his friends that complained about that in the beginning because they were like, we went over to hang out with Joe and we were like, Joe, what are you doing? And he's like, my fucking podcast. And we're like, we're trying to go out to the comedy club or we're trying to go out to the, to the store, you know? And he was like, oh, we got to wait two hours for Joe to finish his fucking podcast. Yeah. Well, here he is on top of the mountain. Yeah, no, exactly. So he, again, he did build it from the ground up, but he has the biggest platform in the world. And the one detraction I will kind of throw in there is what Mikey said is sometimes he may not push back as hard to say that you're like just friends with Alex Jones. I I got an issue with that. Like that guy spewed so much like hate rhetoric in my opinion and then had to retract so much and just been such a a controversial person to say that, Oh, that's, that's my friend. Like you can tie direct like violent acts to Alex. 100%. 100%. So, I mean, honestly, like my score would have gone down based off of my just massive respect for what he's done in the podcast world and all the things he's done. But um, he's got faults just like any other dude. So I've got him at a 5.25 for my final score. All right. I like it. I do too. All right. With a 4.96 from Buddy, a 5.0 from Mikey, and a 5.25 from Randy, Joe Rogan's final asshole score is a 5.07. All right. 5.07. Oddly enough, he sits... Right where he stood before the show started. In between Kid Rock and Tila Tequila. Ah, yes. So there it is. Yeah. That usually doesn't happen, boys. They sit right where they stand. Yeah. 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 They kind of adjusted a little bit, but still stayed within that same barometer. Absolutely. Awesome. We hope you enjoy this episode of Asshole Court. As we have told all of our Patreon subscribers, you've got a special holiday gift coming to you in the next month or so. Be ready for that. And for all of our Asshole Court listeners that are like, what are you talking about, Randy? Go to patreon.com slash AHC podcast. You've got to put the full name into your domain browser because we are explicit and they edit our shit out. So put the full domain name in, join Patreon, become a member of the family and get one of these fucking badass gifts too. We love all y'all. Be kind to one another. We'll see you next time on Asshole Court. And enjoy your AR-15 that we're sending to all of our Patreon fans for Christmas. Side note, we are definitely not sending an AR-15. We would, but the shipping is too expensive, so we're going with a Derringer. You all get a Derringer. Maybe a sticker of a Derringer. Down, 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 down.